Welcome to the New England Football Show. I'm your host, John Serenitas, and as always, I'm joined by my esteemed colleagues, Kevin Stone and Adam Kirchin. Gentlemen, how are you this evening? Doing good, man. Doing good. Good. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. The weather's going to be crap for the rest of the week, so I'd like to say I'm doing good, but it's just perpetually going downhill now. To quote, to quote my good friend Matt Feld, perpetual agony. That, that's what this is all now become, perpetual agony. <laughs> Now, before we uh, we get into the announcement of our game of the week and then we start talking about the Patriots uh, beating the hell out of Zach Carey's Jets, um, I do want to um, thank our sponsors here. I want to start off with Block Builders. Block Builders built on relationships. Block Builders is a local company that does construction work throughout the region. They do remodels, but they also do projects from the ground up. So visit Block Builders. Take a look at their website. I should say Block Builders, Inc., com and see what they're all about gold athletics matt ross and his team is one of the top fundraising are one of the top fundraising companies in the region winter and spring coaches if you're ready to fundraise then you need to get in touch with matt and his team go visit goldathletics.net and you'll see all the various programs they have in place they can get you on the road to raising money in no time championship award guys one of the top award manufacturing companies in New England, Championship Award guys, of course, sponsors our Coach of the Week and Player of the Week awards. And finally, Dill's Place. Dylan Muse, one of the most creative people in the region when it comes to developing various woodworking projects as well as other projects. If you're going to be looking for that unique gift idea with the holidays around the corner, then you need to visit his Etsy page and see some of the stuff that Dylan is producing. He is awesome. He is one talented dude. I cannot stress it enough. Take a look at his Etsy, Etsy page. You'll like what you see. Now, I did mention Gold Athletics, and of course, we are embarking upon week eight of the high school football season, which is hard to believe it's the last week of the regular season. You blink and it's over. It goes by even quicker when you're in the media. I used to think that it went by quick when I coached. I feel like it goes by even quicker when you're doing this. Uh, but our Gold Athletics game of the week this week will be Natick at Milton. The winner of that game will win the, I, I think it's the Route 95 side of the Bay State League now. So, um, or they might actually win the league outright because Natick technically is on the, on the Route 9 side. So, but in any event, it's a huge game in the Bay State League. Natick at Milton on Friday night. That is our Gold Athletics game of the week. Our Adam Nazaro will be there for that. All right. We got that out of the way now. And, of course, we're going to be talking about our sponsors throughout the show. But let's just jump right into it, fellas. The Patriots yesterday dismantled the New York Jets 54-13. Me and Adam broke it down afterwards on the other Patriots postgame show. We're not going to spend a ton of time on this because it was a pure ass-kicking. But, Stone, I want to start with you. You were there yesterday. You witnessed the demolition. Uh, give me your overall thoughts here. So, look, I mean, it's against the Jets, and it's easy to say – you know, we can't learn much from it. But, hey, the offense did a lot of things yesterday that we hadn't seen them do against a bad team. You know, they didn't show up against Houston. And yesterday after the game, Mac Jones talked about, hey, we were ready to go for a 1 o'clock kickoff. And as minor as that might seem, for this team, I thought that was important um, to get out to that 14 nothing start right away. Um, clean game, no turnovers. Um, special teams, defense, and offense all contributed, you know, somewhat equally. So, Again, yes, it's against the Jets, and and yes, as you said, it was an absolute domination. But hey, at this point, when you're a two and four team, you take what you can get. So um, I thought it was an important game, and and now obviously we'll learn a lot more when they go out to LA this week. Yeah, I think um, you know the, the the opponent stuff matters doesn't matter as much to me, in fact, because I I feel like they were looking for anything good. To happen to them going into this game after the last couple of weeks, there had been some really bad performances, so it doesn't matter to me who it came against. It matters a little bit, but it, obviously, just 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 playing well, especially on offense, uh, you know, putting up that many points. I liked how they got the ball to the tight ends in this game. You know, they the wide receivers were involved, the running backs. It was really an even evenly spread, balanced, good game. Yeah, you know, I think when you look at their record, it is deceiving. And they talked about this during the game yesterday. Andrew Catalan and James Lofton talked about the fact that the Patriots themselves believe that they're much better than their record. 
And, and I would tend to agree. I mean, again, I think they're a better football team than they've played. I think that they've played poorly at times, right? We've talked about that their lack of attention to detail and the fact that they don't do the little things like they used to. We've talked about the block punts and the penalties and, and their margin for error being thin. All of that being said, I still say that if you look at this season thus far, and they're three and four right now through seven weeks, if you look at this season, this team is legitimately three plays away from being six and one. That's not an exaggeration. The Harris fumble, the Folk miss field goal, and the third and 25 against Dallas. Plain and simple. And Adam and I talked about this yesterday, Kevin. The Patriots right now are probably internally kicking themselves for losing that Miami game. Miami has lost six in a row since. They're one of the worst teams in the league right now. So if, if you're the Patriots, that one definitely hurts. But those other two hurt too because you were right there. So my point is they might be three and four, but there's a couple of things to keep in mind here, fellas. One, the AFC is wide open. Kansas City's not the juggernaut we thought they were going to be. Buffalo's vulnerable. Tennessee is playing well, and they're in that tier. Now you, you have to say they're in that top tier after beating Buffalo and Kansas City in back-to-back -back weeks. But I think the AFC is wide open. I'm not saying that the AFC itself or the number one seed or even the AFC East are there for the taking. I don't think that the Patriots will get either. But the Patriots certainly, if they can find a way to win on Sunday and win in Carolina the following week, now all of a sudden you're five and four and you're in the mix here. And as this team gets better as the season goes along, remember, they're going to have a decided coaching edge provided they clean up some of the mistakes. They're going to have a decided coaching edge down the stretch here. But if they can continue – to get better and develop confidence. This is a team that if they put it all together, again, could be a team you don't want to play down the stretch. Yeah, and to that point, too, you look at the teams that are in front of them at 4-2, and 5-2, and two, Cleveland, Buffalo, Tennessee are all coming here. You know, you don't have to go there. I mean, you have to go to Buffalo one time, but you see all of those teams. Um, so, yeah, it's. Uh, I think I tweeted this last night. If you look at the standings, it is wide open, like literally wide open. Um, and, and you said, you know, Kansas City – is not that same team. I don't know if there is, you know, a quote-unquote juggernaut in the AFC right now. The NFC we can talk about, but it really is wide open. So if they can continue, you know, you hear Belichick say it all the time, stacking days, um, it's very possible that this team, you know, just is not as bad as we thought it was a week ago. Um, so I, I I don't know if they're a contender yet. Um, again, it's hard to tell off of a Jets game, but um, yesterday was very positive regardless of who they played Again, for that reason, because it's so wide open. Yeah, it's, you know, they're a team that needs confidence. When you lose that many close games to good teams, to middling teams, to bad teams, losing close games can just be a morale a morale suck, you know. It can just take, it can take it right out of you. So for them to have a big blowout win over anybody. That's why I say, you know, it does matter that it's the Jets, but it also matters that it just happened, period, because they needed confidence. And there's a lot of young guys in key spots. I mean, especially Mac Jones. You know, you got a rookie quarterback. You know, as good as he's played, you don't expect his team to do that well because he's a rookie. Like, rookie quarterbacks never really do great things in this league. It's always the second year. I mean, look at Joe Burrow um, yeah. over in Cincinnati. So, uh, again, you, you want him to have confidence. You want, you want them to have uh, a belief in themselves that they're a good team. So, you know, hey, they can stay in this one for a long time, especially considering it's a 17-game season. Anything could happen now. Yeah, and real quick to that point, too, um, they they all to a man admitted it yesterday. You know, it was a, every single guy said, we needed this. Uh, the only one that didn't was Belichick. In, in typical Belichick fashion, he was asked uh, if this could be kind of a momentum boost heading into L.A., and he said, well, we don't lack confidence. I don't believe that. Um, I think that's just kind of a coach saying it. But um, every other guy said, hey, we needed this. So to well, that what, point, don't you, what don't you believe about it? They Look, I know that the Jets are bad, but they just destroyed a, another NFL team. I, I, mm -hmm. I don't think they I, – I don't disagree with them. How do you lack confidence after that? I thought it felt like more coach speak. But, I mean, you could be right. It's just um, – no, I'm just saying, like – and maybe maybe I've, I've been a coach and maybe I'm looking at it as a coach. Like, mm -hmm. I, I know they beat a bad football team, but they still beat a team by a, a pretty substantial margin. I mean, I, I don't – I can't see how they're lacking confidence after yesterday. I, I don't disagree with them. Yeah, no, no, I hear you. But um, the overall point, though, is just 
again, you could tell how badly they wanted or needed that kind of performance. Yeah, I, I That's agree. why you saw the, the foot on the gas. Um, yep. I mean, 54 points. And he hates the Jets. <laughs> yeah, too. I mean, 54 points in an NFL game. That's outrageous. And of course, the Jets bitched and moaned after the game that they, you know that they were pissed that they ran up the score. Well, I got news for you, fellas. You get paid millions of dollars to do something about it. Okay. The one thing about football that separates it from every other sport in the world is, is that when you're getting emasculated and getting your ass kicked, you feel it. You see it. Okay. It's, we're not dunking basketballs here. We're not shooting pucks or lacrosse balls. Football is a game where if you're getting physically dominated. The whole world sees it. You know it. They know it. Everyone knows it. So if you don't want to get physically dominated, I got news for you, New York Jets players. Why don't you shut up and do something about it? Because to me, it just, it just, I I hate nothing more than a team that complains about the score being run up on them. Then you know what? Stop, stop their running game. Stop their passing game. Do something about it. Don't complain about it. If nothing, it drives me crazy. Sorry, I had to do that. I mean, I. I've been in football for 30 years as a coach, as a, in media. Every I've worn a bunch of hats. My point is, every single time I hear someone complain about the score getting run up on them, it makes my blood boil. Yeah, no, and if nothing else, just don't let Brian Hoyer move the ball on you. <laughs> I mean, or, or Mac Jones. You're getting paid millions of dollars, and I get their secondaries young, but they put a lot of money into that front seven. Like, you know what? Get pressure on him. If Robert yeah, Sala and his coaching staff don't like that they ran the score up on him or they thought the hits on Zach Wilson were cheap and whatnot, fine. But at the end of the yeah. day, stop complaining about it. I mean, this franchise is an embarrassment. They're a freaking joke. They I remind you in some ways of the Donald Sterling Clippers. And I'm not talking about Sterling and his, his racism and his stupidity. I'm talking about ineptitude. Those teams were inept in the NBA. And this Jets team is entering that territory now. And how many coaching changes are you going to make? How many quarterbacks are you going to bring in? They just can't get it right there. No, it's bad. But I think, um, like, running up the score at the high school level, I can sometimes understand people complaining about. But at the pro level, this is the NFL. You know, like you said, you're getting paid millions of dollars to make stops. Make the stops and and, and be quiet because I, I, I don't think there's any, like, Bolton board material or anything like that that the Patriots provided. They were just trying to, you know, score touchdowns and win the game. No, real quick, I want to ask both of you guys. Um, what do you think of Mike? Yeah, by the way, Stone, you don't have to say real quick. We've got plenty of time here, so just just make your point. You know I'm not a radio guy. It's a habit. Um, it doesn't Mike matter. White. You don't have to be a radio guy. It's your, it's part, it's your show. Make your point. Mike White, what did you guys think yesterday? Because I thought the offense wasn't too bad with him under center. Um, it was just a bad day for them overall, but I thought he was pretty decent. I don't know if they loved him that much. They brought in Joe Flacco today. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think I actually I actually thought White was a decent player at Western Kentucky, uh, but I don't think he's anything more than a backup. Yeah, at the NFL level, uh, and I think he probably knows that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, they brought in Flacco, so they know it as well. You are watching the New England Football Show. I'm John Serenitas, and as always, I'm joined by my partners, Kevin Stone and Adam Kirchin. We'd like to thank one of our sponsors, Block Builders. Block Builders built on relationships. Visit blockbuildinc.com for more information. All right, moving ahead here now. On Sunday, they go to Los Angeles to take on the Chargers. You're coming off a big win here. Can they, or, or let me rephrase what I'm about to say, have they built up enough momentum now that they can go into L.A. and win. Remember, last year, they were technically a worse team, and they went in there and beat them 45-0. So they could certainly go in there and win, but can they go in there and get it done this year, assuming the Chargers are a better team with a new coach? I, th- Yeah, I think the Chargers are better, but they're incrementally better. I don't think they're head and shoulders better. I think they're a good team. I don't think you – know, I, I don't necessarily buy up into their hype as much. I think the Patriots are certainly capable of winning this game. Um, I think it's probably a, an even game, but I mean, even, hey, last year, with a much worse team, the Patriots dominated the Chargers, and obviously the Chargers are going to be better this year, too. Um, but I just think with Mac Jones, the offense is, is starting to come alive. I, you know, I like the Patriots' chances in this one. Yeah, so offensively, I think they can score. But Bill Belichick was all about Justin Herbert this morning, and with good reason too. So I think it's a huge game for the defense more so than anything else. If look, if you can 
find a way to slow them down, um, then yeah, you have a legitimate shot. I don't know if I don't know if that Jets win provides a ton of momentum. Um, but look, if the offense looks like that, they can play with anybody. Um, but, but I, yeah, but, I don't know if I'd say it doesn't though, because you got to remember they scored twenty nine last week against Dallas, and in a game that they yeah. should have won. So I think their momentum goes beyond what they did yesterday. I think they're just playing better the last three weeks. Well, I want to ask you as well. The trick plays, of, you know, pulling them out against the Jets, is it a sign of desperation or just is that, you know, something we might see every week now? I don't think it's a sign of desperation. I had a friend of mine ask me that this morning. You know, why would you why would you call trick plays against the Jets? You've always said, he said to me, he's coached with me, that if you're relying on gadgets, that means your offense isn't any good. And there's some truth to that. But I don't think so. I, I think the, here's the thing, and, and Corey Bailey and I talk about this all the time. We both have coordinated offenses. You go into every week with two or three of those in your game plan. You practice them. They're there. And the thing is, you you rep the ones you have that you like or you you develop ones against that week's opponent. There's something in the film there that's there that you say to yourself, you know what, I think a halfback pass might be there or I think a flea flicker might be there or a reverse pass might be there. And you put something in, you design it, you put it in, you practice it, and you really technically give it until the middle of the week. If you don't like it by Wednesday, it's out. But I think most coaches, most offensive coaches probably go into it at all three levels, probably go into a game in any given week with at least one or two, some cases maybe three. I think that they probably saw some stuff they liked there against the Jets. There was probably some things there that they learned from the first matchup that, hey, you know what, this could be there against them, and they did it. Now, if you want to debate whether or not they needed them, probably not. If you want to debate whether or not they wasted those plays when they could have used them against someone else, yeah, that's assuming you got those looks, though. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get those same looks by the remaining teams on your schedule that we're going to enable you to, to run the play they did with Bourne Aguilar. So I don't have a problem with it. And then they're not going to run them every week. They might have them, but they not, may not necessarily run them. So I think it's going to be a week-to-week -week thing. Remember, the Patriots pride themselves on being game plan specific. So that was actually kind of my next question is, you know, at this point, if they're struggling to to get or find their offense, could we see it every week? And if we do, does that say something about them, or is it just who they are this year? I don't think I don't think we'll see it every week. I think I think there's certain plays that they work on almost uh, every week for the whole year. Mm -hmm. There might be some that they work on that they never even use. Um, and I think you know they're not. I mean, I don't I don't see a big deal in using it against the Jets. I mean, the, the, they have other plays up their sleeve too. I mean, that's not the only trick play they have, so I don't think it's a big deal. Uh, I think they could run a fake punt or something like that too. You know, whatever. Um, but I, I just don't. Uh, you know, I think that the that the offense is starting to play so much better now, or at least played better that game. That just that momentum is is more over more what they'll carry over from the next week to this one. Um, I don't think it's necessarily the trick plays. I think that just the the basic bare bones of the offense, getting the ball to the tight ends, even running the ball on jet sweeps and stuff like that. I think that's the type of stuff that is getting better, and they want to continue. Yeah, and I think the other thing is they made a concerted effort yesterday to get a lot of those guys they brought in involved. They made it a point to get John o. Smith involved until he got hurt. That they, they used Bourne to throw that gadget pass to Aguilar for the touchdown. They they hit Bourne on a fade route inside the 40 for a big first down to, to punch it in for their final score. So, you know, I mean, I think to me, that was the other part of this game is, is that they started to use their pieces more. And that if, if you were going to criticize McDaniels, I think that's where you criticize them, the, the lack of using some of the people that they, that they brought in earlier and, and getting them more involved and getting them touches. And so I think what you're seeing here is you're seeing an offense that's evolving. You're seeing an offense that's finding its stride now. Guys are getting comfortable. Jones is getting comfortable within the offense. He played great yesterday. Had a couple moments where he still made a couple of questionable decisions, but that's going to happen. He's a rookie. He's young. But – they're starting to move in the right direction offensively now. Last two weeks, 29 points was a season high. 54 yesterday, probably going to be their season high for the season. But in any event, I think that this team is starting to figure things out offensively. 
To your point, Kevin, the bigger question now, especially on Sunday, is going to be how do they play defensively? Can this defense, especially with the injuries that they're starting to sustain, can this defense start to play up to its potential and develop an identity? The offense is doing it. Now we'll see if the defense is doing it. Either way, they're going to have their hands full on Sunday. The Chargers are a good football team. Brandon Staley's done a tremendous job there. I think he's the cerebral type of coach. It's brought discipline and structure to that organization. Not that Anthony Lynn didn't possess those skills and, and couldn't do that as well, but I just think that Staley's brought a different approach, and it seems to work with that locker room. Of course, it's a locker room that has a lot of talent, and it starts with quarterback Justin Herbert. All right, let's uh, shift gears here, but before we do that, you are watching the New England Football Show. Feel free to join the conversation. You can join the conversation on Facebook. It's harder to do on Twitter because right now we use Restream and Twitter and Restream are reconfiguring their setup. So if your comments aren't coming in, that's the reason. But feel free to find a way to join the show anyway. We'd love to hear from you. As always, I'm joined by Kevin Stone and Adam Kirchin. All right, fellas, let's pivot here and talk about Boston College. After getting off to a 4-0 start, the Eagles have – Hit the skids here. They've lost three in a row, three in a row losses to Clemson, NC State, and this weekend perhaps their toughest loss, a 28 to 14 loss at Louisville. What's wrong with this football team right now? Why isn't it working all of a sudden? There was so much momentum after that Missouri win. And the last three weeks they've gone the other way. Yeah, I think um it's too bad because you know, I, I felt the, at the beginning of this season and a few games into the regular season that the team was just about ready to turn a corner and do something that some of these recent Boston college teams haven't done. And that is sort of just take the next step, you know, beat a team that everybody else sort of expects you to lose to. And it, and, and you know, I think that NC state game was physically so tough on them that maybe this Louisville game was a little bit of the, of the you know detritus from that. It was just it, it just ended up hurting them twice. So I feel like I, I I'm sort of frustrated with BC in a little way because I feel like that these are the types of losses they've had for a long time, and um, you know every time it it feels like they're gonna take the next step, they take a couple backwards. So. You know, it'd be nice to see them recover and beat Syracuse this week. That's a team that's sort of on their level right now. Syracuse kind of having a rebound season of sorts, but it's it's tough. And I think really the 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 one issue that um that that's hard to ignore is losing Phil Dracovic um for the season at quarterback. Uh, you don't want to put too much on Dennis Grossel because I think he's a decent player, but I think. That that little, you know, misstep there, and that and that injury there really hurt BC. Yeah, Adam, I think you nailed it. And um, look, the the easy short answer is quarterback play and run defense. I mean, they gave up 331 yards on the ground against Louisville, and I know Malik Cunningham is, um, I believe Isaiah Graham Mobley called him a specimen and just a different breed. So it's hard to kind of judge off of that, but. Um, otherwise, yeah, it's frustrating. I mean, it's the same thing every week now. It's this is the week that they get over that hump, and um, for whatever reason, it's they don't. So, uh, I do think a quarterback switch is now in play. Uh, Dennis Grossell is not going to meet with the media this week for the first time all year. Um, so look, do I think they do it? No, um, because I just don't think putting a young freshman or um, an inexperienced kid in is, is the answer right now. But would I be surprised? No. Um, something needs to change, and I don't know what that is yet. Um, the good thing for them is they have five games left. Three of them are at home. So um, this season is still salvageable, but I wrote today, I think it's almost a crossroads. You know, they're they're dogs to Syracuse right now, and, and that's that's stunning. They're five-point dogs. So, um, yeah, it's, it's frustrating, Adam. You said it, but um, the season is still salvageable, at least I think. Yeah, it is. They're going to win this week, and they're going to have their hands full with Syracuse in that running game with Sean Tucker, and they've been pretty impressive. Um, but, again, I think a lot of it does come back to quarterback play, right? I mean, their defense is underachieved. We knew that they that they had to fill some holes on that side of the ball, and they did that through the transfer portal. They brought in some guys that have stepped in and played well for them on that side of the ball, but they have still struggled, especially 
on the ground in recent weeks. But the bigger question here is, do you make the quarterback change? And, and I just don't think that they're going to do it. I just don't think they have enough experience or talent behind Grossell to make that change right now. Emmett Moorhead is young. He, technically speaking, would probably make the most sense if you were going to make the change. He's probably the most talented of the other guys in the room. But are you willing to throw him into the fire at this point? I, I would probably hazard to guess they're not. And so they're going to have to live and die with Grossell, but they're going to have to find ways to make the game easier for him, to get more out of him, and to get more out of the pieces around him. Because right now, this offense is a shell of what it was last year for obvious reasons. I mean, Jakovic is a different dude. But it's disappointing to see that this team goes from losing a 19-13 game to Clemson gets blown out by NC State, and plays competitive against Louisville, but they could just never – they were chasing in that game. They could just never get even and, and, and get that next score to put them ahead. Louisville was was playing with – they're one step ahead in essence. So, you know, I think to me it is a crossroads, Kevin. I think that you you hit the nail on the head. They are in a crossroads, and you're four and three. You, you need to win two more games to be bowl eligible, but to Adam's point – if let's say you win three of your last five, it's that same type of BC season, though. Yeah. You're now you're seven and five. You're in that 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 rut where you can't get out of that six and six, seven and five area. And until they prove that they can win eight or nine games or more, it's that's what it's going to be around here. That's who they are at this point. Yeah. yeah, you know, yeah. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, well, the, the funny thing is, if you want to choose a positive, is Lately, I think Garwo at running back has been like a, a find, you know, and they've they've sort of found a good young running back in Garwo. I think he can actually help be part of the solution, whenever that is. But like we we're talking about with the quarterback position, it's like, all right, if they go to somebody else, somebody who's probably younger or, you know, catching their eyes in practice, what are the chances that – he is probably not ready and, you know, uh, brings you down a, a notch or two more. Whereas with, with Grossell, your, your, your floor is probably a little bit higher. Your ceiling might not be that great, but your floor is, you know, you're, you're not going to drop down a certain level. And so I think that's sort of the, the math that um, Halfley is playing with at this point. Yeah. And one of the most frustrating parts too is the ACC is just, you're completely wide open this year. So if you did have Phil, you know, this is completely different. But, John, to your point, if you are still with that 500 or just above 500 team, you're in the Fenway Bowl. And, and that's still – it's it's what they've been. You know, it's just kind of just kind of meh. You know, that's the only way I can put it. So um, they – but the problem is, if you do start a freshman or, now, or, or a younger guy, are you conceding that, hey, you know, we don't really – we don't care about the end result. We want to see what we have. You know, kind of thing. No, no, I don't think so. I think if they were to do that, I think they're looking for a spark. I don't think it's them saying this season is a loss. Let's just turn it over. Especially because, look, let's say they were to turn it over to Emmett Moorhead. He's it, do they think he's their future? I don't know. I mean, Jacobic's going to be back next year. So if you were to turn the reins over to a younger guy like him, I mean, unless he plays lights out, you run the table. You're going to go back to Jakovic. So the truth is, I, I don't. I think at this point they have to stick with Grossell. They don't have a choice. I, I do think it's interesting that they didn't want to expose him to the media, if you will. And I think that their thought process is probably, you know what, let's take the pressure off of him. But the truth is, the pressure is going to be on him because he needs to start playing better. They need to start playing better. It's not all on him. You know, this kid's been through a lot since he's been at Boston College, and so I think it's only fair if we're realistic here. It's not all on him, that they have other issues right now. And so this, this again, when you look at the rest of their schedule, I mean, who do they beat? You know, they beat Georgia Tech. You know, maybe you beat a Florida State. But after that, I think Virginia Tech's going to be a battle. Wake Forest comes here in the last game of the regular season – they could be playing for an undefeated season potentially. Dave Clawson always has his team ready, and they always play well here. So, you know, I, I, I just – they're in a tough spot. As it looks to me, you're looking at another 6-6, six 7-5 six, and five team, and 
And then, then you have to wonder with all the hoopla and all the the, the expectations during the preseason, is, is does that hurt Halfley? Does it hurt this program now? Are they going to have to do even more in the offseason to generate more interest and get people back interested in this team because they're going to lose some interest here? You have to figure there's going to be that naysayer that is giving them a chance that's probably sitting there now going, ah, here we go, typical BC, right? Yeah, and does, you know, when do – People start to question the OC and the DC. You know, Tim Lukabu and and Frank Signetti. Well, why, right. I mean, yeah, but I don't. I don't think. I don't think with Boston College in this market, people are going to go there. I think it's all on Halfley. Yeah. I, right. I mean, I'm sorry, man. I'm just the casual fan isn't sitting there going, Frank Signetti better pick it up. I mean, well, they, I think, yeah, 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 I agree. Yeah, I think it's Halfley has has bought himself a lot of uh, goodwill. He seems to yeah. always say the right thing. There's that Halfley effect stuff, but all that will turn on him if they keep losing, you know, if they keep losing. I mean, I think people, you know, I think if the NC state game was a little bit more competitive and then the Louisville game was a win. So if that had happened, if it was like a, a seven point loss to NC state and then they turn around and beat Louisville, things would be fine. But it's just that, you know, the the lopsided nature of the loss to NC State at home, and then Louisville back right off that. It's just like, it's 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 kind of like souring just a little bit. But I still think, look, I, I don't want this to sound uh, too negative because I think Halfley's a good coach. I think he's the guy to get it turned around at BC. But right now, there is some doubt there. Yeah, and that's all I'm saying, Kevin. I'm not. I understand what you're saying. I think with the Patriots, people are always going to have their eyes on McDaniels and Steve Belichick. But yeah. in the case of Boston College, like I said, I, I I don't even – if you were to pull 20 people aside and ask them who their coordinators were, I don't think more than three of them would get it right. So no, – and, and those three probably wouldn't get both. No, no, <laughs> so. I, I completely agree. Um, I was saying more so like alumni and the fan base. You know, because I don't even know if the alumni know who their coordinators are. <laughs> <You're> right. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying. I, yeah, it's a, it's a, the only reason I'm saying it, Kevin, is you know you you're there every other week. It's it's a wine and cheese crowd there. Do yeah. they even give a crap who the hell the coordinators are? No, you're right. You're, you're you definitely know? right. Um, it's it'll be interesting to see though, because again, if this does go south, that that halfway honeymoon is absolutely over. If it's not already. Yeah, but like Adam said, and I agree with him, I think he's bought enough goodwill, and I think that they're going to do a good job recruiting. Um, I still think you're going to get a handful of high-profile three borderline four recruits to commit here. I think you're going to get a couple fours. You'll have you'll be in the conversation for maybe a five or two. So I still think they're going to do a good job in the offseason of bringing in talent. It's just a matter of getting more out of it. Look, I'm not making excuses for him, but when you lose your starting quarterback, especially a guy – who was probably one of the 25 best quarterbacks in the country coming into the season, if not top 20. Um, that, that's that's hard to overcome. It's the most important position in sports. And when you lose that guy, you can't replace him. There's a reason he's starting for you. So um, we'll see. they got to find a way to win this week. They need this one because if they were to lose this one, all bets are off. A bowl season is far from a guarantee if they lose this week. Yeah. All right, let's um, shift gears. But before we do that, I do want to take a second here and thank Gold Athletics, one of our other sponsors. Matt Ross and his team do a tremendous job helping programs across the state of Massachusetts and New England raise money. With the winter and spring seasons fast approaching, coaches of winter and spring sports, you need to raise some money. Well, and you know what? You need to go to goldathletics.net and see what Matt and his team have to offer. Get in touch with them. They will find the right fundraiser for you, and they will get you on the road to raising money in no time. You don't believe me that Matt Ross and his team are good? Go to their Twitter page. Wait till you see how much money programs like Milton and Bridgewater Raynham have raised. It's pretty simple. If you give Matt Ross and his team an opportunity, they will help you raise money in a hurry. All right, let's talk about UMass. And Stone, you got you got stoned by the, the negative UMass faithful this weekend they threw some rocks at you after your prediction on saturday i tried there's a couple of them out there that i tried to keep them at bay they were feisty with me we went back and forth i'm sure adam was rolling his eyes going what the hell is he doing (laughs) he's he's because he's he's the voice of reason here of the three of us he's the one that keeps us 
<laughs> you know what? Don't engage. Don't engage. It's not worth it. But, but let's be honest here. I think, and it's hard for us, right? Because we want to be positive about the program. But once again, it's hard to be positive when you go down there coming off a win and a bye and you get destroyed. I mean, I don't even know where to go with this football program right now. I mean, I, I've accepted that they are what they are. But, I mean, in games like this, it's a it's chalk. They're going to lose, and you have to just tell it like it is. So, look, I'm going to I'm gonna try and be nice about this. The previews that we do, look, uh, we probably shouldn't make predictions, or I shouldn't right. make predictions. I would advise you not to move forward. <laughs> but, look, like you said, we the people that chirp us about being too positive, look, we're not going to rip a coach every single day. Um, no. So, to that point, yes, I'm going to pick them to win sometimes. I didn't pick him a win. I picked him to cover. Uh, that was about it. So relax, UMass fans. Um, but look, I, I watched the first, I think the first half or so. They could have. By the way, not to cut you off, you say UMass fans. We have a lot of UMass fans that are that love our coverage and support us. Yeah. It's just yep. a handful of them that are feisty that think they have all the answers. And they're the ones that are chirping. And you know what? They listen. As I said, and I agreed with both of them, and both of the gentlemen that I was engaged with, I said, look, the body of work supports your argument. I'm not denying that. I'm not going to deny it. Two and 21 in three years, that's hard to argue against. So, but continue. No, look, they could have had a better start, first of all. You punch out the ball in the opening kickoff, you settle for three. So you have a 3 nothing lead early. They were in that game for, we'll call it a quarter and a half, and then all of a sudden the floodgates open. So... Look, for me, it's about the defense. I think this offense is going to keep getting better with Brady Olsen. I think there's some talent there. Um, and Ellis Merriweather, I still think, is an absolute beast in the backfield. The defense can't stop anybody right now. Um, and it's not just that they can't stop anybody. It's huge plays early in the drive. You know, they're getting gashed for 25, 30-yard runs on first down and second down. You're not giving yourself a shot. So you said it. They are what they are at this point. I still think there's winnable games on a schedule. I know you guys do as well, but it, it's hard to it's hard to keep defending them when they keep, you know, taking two steps back. Yeah, I feel like the thing that you mentioned about giving up big plays in the run game, that's been the case for how many years now? You know, I mean, with UMass, just not been able to stop the run. You know, and you, you just wonder what would this week have been like had UMass been in a conference, if they were back in uh, the MAC, for instance, playing Ohio and not Florida State, or Buffalo and not Florida State, <laughs> you know, it's um, you know, there's there's not much they can do at this point. Like if you're if you're that bad against the run, anybody can take advantage of that. There's no, there's not a single team in Division One college football that won't be able to take advantage of a bad run defense. Or there, if if not, there's maybe five. Okay, so it's it's just one of those things where you know you you got to get bigger and stronger at the line of scrimmage. And again, that's not something you can just wave a wand and say, okay, you're better. You know, it's uh, it's pretty bad. So you know, I, I do think again, like uh, like Kevin said, I agree that there's some uh, high points along the offense where you can say there's you know there's there's, there's positive points with, with Brady Olson. He's a good young quarterback and Merriweather. Like I agree. Merriweather is a good football player and it has had some really good games this year. So I think all is not lost. It just, you know, if they had played a team this week that was more on their level, it would have been nice, but they're an independent. They're playing in a lot of cases. Teams are just much better than them. So uh, yeah, that's just sort of the state of things right now for UMass. Yeah, and I think the negative crowd, and look, we're going to beat the dead horse here, but the negative crowd needs to understand something. You're a independent mid-major. That's just a bad place to be. I don't care what anybody says. It doesn't matter how much money Ryan Bamford and the athletic department put into this program. It's not going to matter. At the end of the day, if they're not in a conference and they don't have those bowl tie-ins and they don't have those rivalry games, and they don't have those those recruiting wars with some of those rivals, it's not going to matter. It's it's a moot point. So it's okay for BYU and Notre Dame to be independents. You know why? Because they, they're on TV all the time. They're those appealing. They win. People, yeah. right. People want them in their bowl games. 
but they don't want UMass. There's no appeal to UMass right now because UMass isn't winning. And listen, for all these people to knock Walt Bell, he said it two weeks ago. He knows why he got the job. He got the job because, quite frankly, a lot of other people didn't want it. So for all those UMass honks out there who think that Don Brown's the answer or or if they, they dipped into the D2 level or they brought in Bob Chesney or anything, they, look, you can think that those guys are the answer all you want. When they get there, they're going to still have some of the issues that Bell's having right now. It's, it's not – unless they get into a conference this offseason – we're going to be having this conversation a year from now. It's going to be the same thing. They're not going to get better in this current state. Right? Yeah, and, and again, real quick for the people that are ripping us for being too positive, there, there's something you know to be said about relationship building and stuff like that. So, I mean, we're not going to be you know negative Nancy's 24-7 no. as no. bad as it is. Yeah. Um, nope. and, but, you know, and again, we'll, I'm not going to say we'll rip them, but um, look, they're not very good right now. And I think that's an understatement. And they so. know what they are. And listen, yeah, yeah. as I said to those fine folks, I said, we're not writing La Mida Popular here, which, by the way, for those of you that are asking what the hell is that, that was a revolutionary paper in France during the revolution that was calling for the king to be removed. We're not writing La Mida Popular. We're not writing the friend of the people here. So we're not going to sit here and bash Coach Bell and call for a change every week. That's not our place. That's not what we do because – our, our job is to provide coverage to people. Our job is to be as objective as possible. And so, yeah, we could sit here and curb stomp the program every week, but you know what? It's not going to do any good. And it's not going to change anything. And at the end of the day, for those fine folks who think they have all the answers, you know what? Email the athletic director and share it with him. What are you telling me for? I don't care. Tell him. You know what I mean? I appreciate the feedback and the interaction, and we love that. And we'll talk UMass football with you guys all day. But at the end of the day, we're not agents of change. If you if you want change, then go to the people that can make make it happen. But for now, as far as you know, what we do, and to Kevin's point about relationships, yeah, it's important. We're in a relationship business, and you know what? I'm not afraid to sit here and say, hey, Coach Bell has been very good to us, and he's a good man, and he's and he's he's trying to rebuild this program. He and his staff are trying to do the right things. And I've been somebody who's been in football for almost 30 years as a small college and high school coach. And I can tell you right now, I know how hard it is to fix things, even at those levels. A, a, a rebuild is not easy. So if you think it is, you go pick up the play sheet and the headset and you try it. And I guarantee you, you won't get any further than he has. So at the end of the day, it is what it is. But until they get into a conference and they get those bowl tie-ins and there's some recruiting rivalries and money coming in, nothing's going to change. All right, let's – um. Let's pivot here and talk about Harvard. Obviously, a tough loss this past weekend at Princeton. Look, when you watch that game, those two teams look like they're the best teams in the Ivy League this season, especially because Dartmouth lost to Columbia 19 to nothing on Friday night. Well, by the way, Columbia's in the mix here. They're 5-1. and one. They can win the Ivy League, which would be a testament to how great a coach Al Bagnoli is and the job that they've done there. Because that program has been perennially among the worst programs in the Ivy League for years. That being said, it's a loss that's also mired in controversy. Of course, there was a there was a mishap with the officiating, and uh, I forget what overtime it was. But in overtime, in one of the overtimes, there was a situation with the officiating. The Ivy League came out yesterday and acknowledged it, but unfortunately, they cannot turn they can't they can't do anything to overturn the score. Um, and then, of course, the Harvard Athletic Department comes out today. They also acknowledge their disappointment and. They basically took the high road and said, we're moving on. That being said, is this something that you think derails this team the rest of the season, or do you think Tim Murphy keeps this thing together? I, yeah, I, I have a lot of respect for Tim Murphy. I don't think uh, this one loss is so debilitating that, uh, you know, Harvard season goes downhill. I like Harvard the rest of the way. To, if not went out, something close to it. They're a good team. And they even won with uh, Aaron Shamklin not really having a great game. He scored a touchdown, but he didn't have a great yards per carry average or anything like that. Uh, you know, he's a, he's a he's a good back, and uh, I like I like how Harvard runs the ball. I like how they throw it too. Um, and it's funny that you mentioned about about Columbia. For as long as I can remember, even go back to the 1980s, Columbia's had like the worst program in the Ivy League and here yeah. they are right in the middle of it. I mean it's I mean it's kind of crazy. You got five teams 
with one loss or, or fewer, Princeton's three and zero. Oh, I, I doubt anybody is running the table in this league, and I think that Harvard is is every bit as capable of winning this thing as as they were before this weekend. Yeah, for me, it's all about Tim Murphy. I I, I haven't worked with him much, but in a few times I have, you can see that the respect in um, that he commands in a locker room. So no, I don't think this derails them at all. I have been saying though on Twitter, look. I, I am not a participation trophy guy. Um, I hate that whole culture. But if Harvard does run the table and, um, you know, they end up finishing second behind Princeton, I think Coach Champs really should be on the table. Now, again, it's a ways out. And uh, I'm, I'm assuming one of you at least disagrees with me. But that's – I appreciate the Ivy League coming out and acknowledging the mistake, but that's outrageous, man. So uh, – but to the original question, no, I think Tim Murphy's got this this team – um, kind of walked in, and I think they'll be fine. Yeah, the coach champs things aren't going to happen. It's 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 just not. Oh and, no, it's, not. no, it's not. And the other thing is that you still have a month left. So, I mean, yeah. Princeton could lose. Like, look, I've seen, I saw Princeton live. I think they're pretty damn good. I, I don't see them losing. They still have to play Dartmouth. They could lose. Uh, they still have to play Columbia. Columbia it has been a pleasant surprise. They've kind of flown under the radar. Everybody's talked about Harvard, Princeton, Dartmouth. Dartmouth has been a surprise. They weren't supposed to be as good. But Columbia is really, to me, the biggest surprise because they've come out of nowhere. And I think a lot of it is, again, Al Bagnoli is built to this point. He he came out of retirement after he left Penn. He took that job. He He's added some really good coaches, including their quarterbacks coach, who I know well, Ryan Larson. I've coached camps with Ryan. He's tremendous. He's their pass game coordinator. I'm not surprised that they're playing the way they're playing. I'm not surprised that they went up to Dartmouth, a very tough place to play and beat those guys. And they were coming off a win over UNH in the Granite Bowl. So uh, I think Tim Murphy will get this team back on track. They got a big one Saturday with Dartmouth coming to town. Uh, of course, our Ryan Barry will be there for that one. But um, you know what? I think at the end of the day, I don't see the participation trophy thing happening here where they split the league at the end of the year if somehow Harvard and Princeton end up um, – either Princeton ends up undefeated and Harvard has a loss. I, I I just don't see how you can do that. I just don't see how they're going to they're gonna take it away from Princeton or at least take a piece of it away from Princeton. I, I just don't see it. Uh, real quick before we move on to the high school stuff, Stone, uh, talk a little bit about uh, Holy Cross. Big win over Colgate on Saturday evening over at Polar Park. Talk about the atmosphere. What was that like? Obviously, they sold the place out, 9,500 people. Uh, it, it looked like it was a great atmosphere there for Holy Cross. Uh, yeah, so uh, very different. Um, I think you guys have both seen games at Fenway. Uh, I've only seen it once, and it was very strange just to see the baseball set up. But, no, atmosphere-wise, it was phenomenal. Holy Cross banged it out. I think it was 9,508 uh, for a sellout. Um, gave the, the fans a good show, too. It was um, really, it wasn't even close from, I'd say, the second quarter on. Um, offense, defense, special teams, everyone contributing. But, yeah, cool atmosphere. Um, definitely something I think you'll see there more often. Um, my only complaint would be it looked like, you know, I was watching it from a living room window um, in the in the press box. But, uh, no, it was definitely cool. And, uh, most importantly, Holy Cross got a, oh, another league win to to keep that 3 P dream alive because um, that Colgate team – they moved the ball a little bit against BC early in the year, and I wasn't sure what to expect. Uh, but that that's a – for all the, the hype and kind of the pop and circumstance around it, Coach Chesney said after the game, you know, as a coach, he's worried. He thinks the team is ready, but he's still worried until he sees them handle it. And uh, they handled it well, and it was a huge win for them. Yeah, I think, um, you know, from the time I started covering any colleges in the local area – just a few few years ago, a program that is consistently getting it right is Holy Cross. You know, Chesney's a good coach. The fan support, I've always been blown away by the Holy Cross fan support. I went to one of their, um, like a spring game uh, a couple years ago, and it, was, it wasn't even on the main field, and they had tons of fans there. Um, you know, and they, and they win. You know, they, they win the Patriot League. Uh, so I like everything about Holy Cross right now. They're doing a lot of things right. Um, Chesney was a great hire and he's doing an exceptional job, both recruiting and coaching. And that team is, is just competitive. 
And, uh, you know, even though they lost to Harvard, lost to Merrimack, they're, they're in it all, all these weeks against these Patriot League teams. And, you know, probably going to be back in the FCS playoffs. So, hey, all passing grades for Holy Cross, really. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think you both said it best. I mean, this is a program that they're probably going to win their third straight Patriot League title. They're dominant. He's done a tremendous job in recruiting. I mean, you see the kind of talent that they brought in there. They're a step above the other programs in that league. It's abundantly obvious when they play. You saw it last week against Georgetown. You see it against Colgate. They just the, the talent disparity between them right now and the rest of the Patriot League, it, it's a substantial gap. And I don't see the other programs closing it. I mean, I think Holy Cross is an appealing place to go to school. It's a great education. You're you're in a major city, and you know, it's not a it's not a major city from the standpoint of a New York or a Boston or a Chicago or LA. But you're in a big enough city where you can get that city feel, but yet you can get away from the city as well. It's a very appealing school. And so I think Chesney's played into that. He's taken advantage of that. And they have a, a national recruiting base, which helps as well. They don't just recruit Massachusetts or New England kids. They've had a lot of success recruiting the Mid-Atlantic and even going into, into the South Atlantic and Florida as well. So I think this is a program that is going to consistently compete, especially if he stays. If he stays – that program is just going to continue to ascend more and more. You are watching the New England Football Show. We're going to move on to our last segment here, um, and that is high school football. But before we do that, I do want to quickly give a shout-out to Dill's Place. Dylan Muse is one of the most talented dudes you're going to meet in this area. Check out his Etsy page, especially with the holidays coming. Dylan's going to have a gift for everyone on that Etsy page. So go on there and check out some of his work. I guarantee you'll find something you like. It'll be something different, it'll be something unique, and it'll make someone's holiday. Check out Dylan Muse's site, Dill's Place. You can find him on Etsy.com. All right, let's um, talk some high school football here before we wrap up this week's show. Kind of a quiet week schedule-wise, but we've got a good week of games coming up to wrap up the season here in Week 8. Games with some pretty important implications, both in terms of leagues and the playoffs and playoff standings. Um Adam, I'm going to start with you. Just your thoughts on the week that was and, and any surprises in the power rankings? Um, well, as opposed to surprises in the power rankings, I do want to concentrate on a flaw, and that is this, this strength of schedule thing, which is fine, and it's the right idea, but it also ends up hurting teams who might be in a bigger league. I'm specifically talking about Everett, who had one non-league game. They used it with a great team against Zavarian. They won that game. But now six games or five games later against some GBL teams with poor records, now uh, heading into or coming out of last week. Now this is last week, not this week's. hasn't been uh, sent up yet. But Everett dropped all the way to eighth and Zavarian's yeah. at four. And that's not Everett's fault, and they can't do anything about that. They couldn't have no. picked a better team for their schedule strength, and their schedule strength is still down based yeah. on having played in the GBL. That's a huge, huge problem for teams that play in five and six and 17 leagues. So uh, other than that, the game I went to Friday night uh, – was Lincoln Sudbury at Wayland. And I I expected Lincoln Sudbury to be good, but they were even better than I expected. They have so much team speed. It's almost it's almost like watching their lacrosse team. I, you know, I don't know how many of those kids are lacrosse players, but they looked like a like you know these guys who go to you know uh Johns Hopkins and Duke for lacrosse and everything, just running circles around these guys. I'm impressed. I mean, I expected to be impressed, but not to that extent. They're very, very good. Yeah, uh, sorry, I thought you were going to hop in there for a second. No, I was just going to say, did you notice a smile on Stone's face when you started <laughs> mentioning lacrosse? He got all giddy with his <laughs> yeah, hey. his, his other right. passion, that, that the fifth sport here in America. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of those kids do play, you can tell. Um, oh. I was at Ashland and Norwood on, on Friday night, hell of a game. Um, Ashland ended up kind of pulling away late, mostly just because of their run game. Uh, Andrew Moweski is – that kid's impossible to tackle. Um, he's a moose. So, I think he had 220 yards and uh, either two or three touchdowns. But that Norwood team, and, John, you can speak to it, they have some big play offense capability, and uh, they scored quick a couple times. 
Um, and actually almost scored late too, but had one call back. I was impressed with their offense. Um, defense, again, they just had some trouble up front stopping the run, but uh, they can score quick, and I think they, they'll make some noise. But um, that Ashland team is – Andrew McKay always has those guys ready to go. Um, yeah. Since I've been working with him for I don't know how many years now, it's it's every year. Those kids are ready to go no matter what. So um, they'll make some noise again. But you guys mentioned the power rankings too. I forget what team – I saw tweeting about it today, but I saw there's still a two and five team that's making the postseason, and and you know some teams with winning winning records are not. It can't happen. Um, that was part of the reason they tried to change this. So uh, it's still it's the right idea, Adam, like you said. But there's still there's tweaks to be made. But um, and just going back to how we started the show, I can't believe the regular season is already over. That's unbelievable. Yeah, and Norwood is one of those teams, by the way. Right now, they're 15th in D3, and they're 5-2, and two, and they're going to probably win on Friday night. They have Westwood, um, but they're probably going to end up 6-2, and two, and there's a decent chance they may either be the 15th or 16th seed, or they may not get in at all. And that is a flaw of this system. And look, I, I'm going to be negative Nancy here. I just don't think this state can get it right. I just don't think when it comes to a playoff system, this state can get it right. I'm going to say it. I just don't. And it's not that I have a, an axe to grind with the MIAA or anybody that's associated with the organization. I don't. I don't have a problem with anyone over there. In fact, they've been good to me. They've been good to us. But at the end of the day, it's not just the MIAA. It's also the Coaches Association. It's also the, it's also other groups that, that, that are influencing this thought process. And to Adam's point, when you have Everett sitting at eight or nine and they're basically being punished because they're playing in the GBL, well, that's not fair. And remember, for a long time, Everett wasn't in the, quote, GBL. They kind of – they went back to the GBL. They were playing an independent schedule and they were playing if, – if, if they played their old, their old schedule when John DiBiazza was there, they probably would be a top three seed right now. So, you know, I just – I think to me, they're going to have to revisit this now. And they're not going to want to do it. They don't like to tweak new systems, but they're going to have to because there's some flaws in this right now. And, and I don't know if, if you change the, the way things are weighted. I don't know if, if strength of schedule maybe doesn't factor as much. The bottom line is they're going to have to tweak it because to Kevin's point, you're going to probably have some teams with winning records that because of their lack of a strength of schedule are going to stay home. They're not going to play for state title. And I just don't think that's fair to those programs and those kids. Yeah. No, I just I feel like, yeah. No, I, I just feel like some teams are able to schedule better, but some teams really aren't. Some te- if, you, if you're a middle of the road team in a, uh, in a six team league, what are you going to do? You're going to schedule a variant, you know, like, I mean, yeah. some, of these, it, some, of these, some of these teams can only do so well. Um, and it's tough. And how do you even know how good a certain team is going to be, you know, six months ahead of time? It's just hard. And, you know, I, I but I look, look, I, I know that this system, it created a lot of great games. And I think it's a, I think the idea is correct. You want to reward the teams that play a tougher schedule, but you also want a team like Everett who, who, who had one non-league game, filled it with one of the best teams in the state and beat that team to not be the number eight seed in division one still undefeated, but you know, suffering because of their, they're playing in the GBL. It's just not right. No, I was just going to say real quick, you're seeing it too with a program like Norwood where, and this isn't a disrespect to the other Tri-Valley schools, but outside of Norwood and Ashland, the Tri-Valley's down. The Tri-Valley on the big side is down. And, you know, I went to Norton Denham on, uh, on Friday night and Norton's undefeated and they had their hands full with Denham. And so, the smaller side, I think, is a little bit more balanced. But the bigger side, it's really – it's been Norwood and Ashland all year. I mean, Hollison pushed Ashland. They went to a couple of overtimes. But those schools are being punished because they're playing in a league that's down this year. Yeah. So I, so one thing I saw suggested on Twitter, I just want your guys' opinion, what if you make leagues within the divisions and just have those teams play each other? It seems like an easy answer, but I feel like it won't be. <laughs> It's too it's too big of a teardown to yeah, be considered around here. I think it's a good idea, but I just don't think it's realistic based on where we are. And I guess and 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 and, and John, I think you're right. There is there is some frustration where he's just like, oh, we're in Massachusetts. 
Mm-hmm. It's not going to go well. You know, it's like it, we won't work it out. It, and it really is an exceptionally tough state to get everything to work, especially when you talk about having Thanksgiving and stuff like that. It's just it's just a tough thing to get going here. Um, and we're just going to, I guess, keep tweaking it till we get it right. But I, I understand the frustration of saying, hey, we're in Massachusetts. It's not going to get it's not going to get right. Well, and the other thing to keep in mind is and I know when I say this, people are going to see this and they're going to say, oh, here we go. He's a football guy. You know, he's 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 got the microphones or he's beating the drum for a sport. But Steve Dombowski, he went to these committees and he proposed the Connecticut plan. And that was the eight top eight in each division get in. And then you extend the season a week and they got pushed back from the winter coaches. And I get it. And of course, there's a lot of members in the media. And I said it at the time and it ruffled feathers and I don't care. But there's a lot of people in the media that were on that wagon. Oh, well, you can't do that. Well, first of all, who cares what you think? And who cares what I think for that matter? At the end of the day, what it comes down to is if that was what was right for high school football and for high school sports, even it wasn't like it was going to rob the winter spring, the winter coaches and their teams of, of they, they weren't going to have to lose games to do it. It's only going to affect a, a certain amount of teams that had made it to Gillette. It wasn't going to affect anyone else. They could have started the Monday after Thanksgiving, which by the way, for the record, I think is ridiculous that you, you play an entire football season and then you get a weekend off and then you start your winter season. So if you play basketball or hockey, you get three days off and then you you start the next sport, but yet there's an off week between the winter and the spring season. That's never made any sense to me, even before any of these proposals came in. I think it's asinine. I think both the winter and spring seasons are too long. I've always said it. I've coached in both. And at the end of the day, that proposal is never going to happen because to your point, Adam, it's Massachusetts. And in Massachusetts, nothing gets done. By the way, it's even worse in Rhode Island because they're changing their system, it seems, every year. So it doesn't matter. Their system is predicated on finding a way to separate Hendrickson and LaSalle, and everyone else can play for a state title, and they play themselves every year for a state title. That being said, this needs to be tweaked. It needs to be fixed. I don't know what tweaks they're going to make. Like I said, they don't like to make tweaks. They're probably going to try to ride it out for two years and then maybe tweak it. But at the end of the day, you can't make everyone happy. Even with 16 teams, someone's going to be left out and they're going to be pissed. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You know? I think so, it says it all. <laughs> yep. That does say it all. All righty, gentlemen. Before we go, I do want to once again thank our sponsors, Block Builders Built on Relationships, Gold Athletics, Championship Award guys, and, of course, Dill Place. I want to say thank you guys for believing in us and sponsoring our content. We appreciate it, um, and we want to make sure that our viewers and listeners um, visit the different our different sponsors and their websites, and they try to give them their business because, you know what, they help us with providing content that you find folks out there enjoy. Anything else before we get going here? No, CM's a variant this weekend. Should probably the game of the weekend, right? Yeah, it's yeah one of, in high school, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it'll be a, it'll be a fun one. Um, again, in fall two, that was the team. Zavarian was the team that gave CM its biggest test, mm-hmm. and you know they're Zavarian's good up front, and they're getting better everywhere else too. So, um, it, it'll be fun. Yeah, it will be fun, and I think anytime you're talking about the Catholic Conference and. The Catholic Conference being on the line, it's going to be a big game. And these two are rivals, believe me. I know both coaches, and it's funny. They've got this Ohio State-Michigan thing that's going on there. Uh, you know, Al Fanaro, I love him. He's the best. You know, he, he, the school on Baker Street, and Jim <laughs> calls him those guys. And it's, <laughs> it's awesome. It's, it's two fine Italian gentlemen leading two great programs, and they do battle. And it's, it's what makes high school football awesome. And both of those guys are – our, our characters, they're larger than life type guys. So, uh, it's, so it's pretty cool. It should be a great game. It's yeah, funny, too. Adam, you were with me last year. We got the infamous dib speech after oh, yeah. uh, the game. So, yeah. hopefully, we have another <laughs> one coming. Uh, and funny. those poor mass preps guys, what do they ever do to uh, what did the max preps guys ever do to dib? Honestly, <laughs> to be labeled clowns, those poor yeah. max preps guys. That's All right. Funny. Well, as always, you can find us on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and, fa- and Facebook, I should say. You can find Adam at Adam Kirkchen. You can find Kevin at KStone06. And you can find me at UFTBJ for Kevin Stone and Adam Kirkchen. 
I'm John Tyranitas. Until next week, peace. See ya.